Hi, my name is Chad Hurtler. I serve as a pastor of Highland Crest Church here in Green Bay. Uh, we're located literally kitty corner from Lambeau Field and directly across the street from the Titletown District. And during these special days of the COVID-19 crisis, we've sort of changed our sermon series to bring some messages with the purpose of encouraging our church family. Uh, thank you for joining us today for these. And, and if there is any way that our church family could be of help to you and encouragement to you, feel free to call our church office at 920-494-3647, or you certainly could check out our website at highlandcrestbaptist.com. If you are available to check out this passage with me, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, or take your mobile device and swipe to Matthew chapter 6, where today I want to tackle the topic of worry. And Matthew chapter 6, while you're turning there, uh, I'm not sure where you find yourself today. Uh, perhaps you are feeling a bit of anxiety yourself. Perhaps you are at risk for uh, being contracting the COVID-19, maybe because of your age, or maybe because of previous health concerns, that you feel vulnerable to this. Uh, perhaps you have a loved one or, or you yourself that are on the front lines and your work does not allow you to, to be removed from crowds. Rather, you have to be right in crowds. Perhaps you're in the healthcare industry and you are right there on the front lines and, and you too have some concern about exposure to the coronavirus. Perhaps you have a loved one maybe a parent or a grandparent that is in a nursing home or an assisted living facility. And you've wondered, what would happen if there was an outbreak to this? And you are concerned about your family. Or maybe in recent weeks, you've lost your job because of how this has poured out into our economy. And you are wondering yourself, how is it that I'll provide for my family? Maybe you're on a fixed income, and, or maybe you are thinking about retiring soon, and now you're wondering, in light of how the stock market has plummeted, how will you retire? And so perhaps there is anxiety and trepidation that is seeping in for you. Well, fortunately for us, Jesus, in God's Word, speaks about worry. And this morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, where he addresses this topic. Now, before we launch ourselves into these verses, it's always helpful for us to look at a bit of a context. So, in, in the verses that lead up to this, Jesus is speaking about two different ways that a person can live. One, they can live for themselves. Or two, they can live for God and have their sins forgiven by him. And if one chooses to live in either one of these ways, there are three different word pictures that Jesus provides for us by way of context to our passage today. In verses 19 through 21, Jesus speaks of a treasure. And those who live for themselves are going to be all about compiling all the resources they can for this life. But that will be it. A person that is living for God will see treasures differently. They will take those treasures and they will 
advance them to eternity. And they will use the resources that God has given to them, like finances or talents or material possessions, and use them to get the gospel out, whether locally or globally. The second word picture God provides for us here in his word, by way of context, is that of an eye. And if your eye is good, then your whole body will be good. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be bad. And we see that referenced in verses 22 and 23. And what he is speaking about here is that if you want to live for God, then you are going to rely on God's word. And that will lead your life in a good way. But if you want to just choose your own path and do what feels good or what seems good to you, then your eye will be bad and your life will be bad as well. And then the third word picture that he offers is found in verse 24 and is that of a master. And Jesus said, you can have only have one master. It's either going to be a master that is ruling you for possessions like a master of money or God can be your master. So having laid out these two different paths, then he says in verse 25 of our passage this morning, therefore, in light of that, now he is assuming that the hearer or the reader has chosen the path of having their sins forgiven and living for Jesus. In light of this, here's a summary of these verses. You don't need to worry. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Let me read verse 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life on what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body on what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. God, would you take your Bible, which is light to our lives, and may it help us to see life as you want us to see it. And as we navigate through these times, we need a word of encouragement. We need to be reminded that you will care for us. It could be that there are those watching this today that have yet to become followers of Jesus. And would you take these words and, and 
put light onto their path that they might know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have an outline here, and it's certainly available to you if you would like. And in our outline, there's a series of questions. Question number one is, what does it mean to worry? All I did was went to a a simple dictionary, the Webster Dictionary, and this is the definition that was provided. Worry is a feeling of concern about something bad that might happen. A feeling of concern about something bad that might happen. We all know what it is like to worry. This is something that we all will face with challenge. Worry diverts our attention. In James chapter 1, we read about a double-minded person. And so he provides for us a very vivid picture. It's like of a person who has one mind, one mind that is trusting in God, trusting in God's word and all of his promises. But that person also has a second mind. And that second mind is filled with doubts and fears and worries. And both these minds are competing to control this person's life. So worry drags us down. It keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. In fact, Proverbs 12 verse 25 says this, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. That's a good picture. We can think of worry like a heavy backpack that has loaded within it a bunch of full, dusty books. And a person could put that backpack on throughout the day, and they can still try to go about the activities, but it weighs them down. And they're not nearly as effective or efficient as they could be because of this worry or because of this backpack. Jesus says to us here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. So he is saying, don't allow your attention to be diverted. Don't allow these concerns to overwhelm you. Don't allow this worry to weigh down your heart. Here's a second question, and that is this. Why is worrying wrong? Why is worrying a sin? Jesus said here in verse 25, not to be anxious. Why is that a sin? During this past winter, our church family has gone through a wonderful book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. And he actually has a chapter devoted to anxiety or to worry. And he provides two different reasons why worrying is a problem or it is sinful. The first is that worry reveals distrust for God. When we worry, what we are saying is, God, you are incapable of protecting me and my family at this time. God, you're going through a lot of things right now. The whole world seems to be turned upside down. I am not sure that you can provide for me. God, you can handle the day-to-day stuff. But have you read the unemployment numbers that there are 6.6 or over 6 million different people that have filed for unemployment during these days? 
And have you not seen the press conference from our president that said the next two weeks could be brutal? God, I'm not sure that I can trust you and my family and the resources that you've provided for me at this time. And if anyone else were in my situation, they would feel the same way. The first reason that worry is wrong is it reveals distrust for God. But Jerry Bridges provides a second reason why worry is wrong. When he says, when we worry, we are refusing to accept God's plan or his providence. Providence is a wonderful theological word. It just means that God has his ways and his plan that he puts forth and it is for our good. So when we worry, we're saying, God, I cannot trust your ways. I cannot trust your plan. They are not wise. They will not work good in this crisis for my life. I cannot, God, I cannot trust your heart. This COVID-19 is too big for you. You might be a good shepherd and a loving father in the scriptures, but at this time, you are using some neglect towards your sheep and to your children. Let me illustrate it this way. A few weeks ago, a good man in our church named Jim and I were on a mission trip. and We were in Senegal, Africa. And when we flew home, we went to Istanbul, Turkey, to Chicago, to Green Bay. That flight from Turkey to Chicago was a 12-hour flight. And we only had a two-and-a-half-hour layover in Chicago. And what I like to do and when I fly, I love to look at the flight map to find out exactly where are we in the world and where are we in, in getting close to our destination. And when we were about an hour or 30 minutes away, I looked at that flight map and I discovered that we were way up in Canada. And I'm thinking, why in the world are we up in Canada? When we were about 30 minutes away, we were in the northern part of lower Michigan. And I'm looking at the ETA and it says we're supposed to arrive in 20 or 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, we've just heard about long lines going through customs. And I'm not sure that we're going to make it through customs. I'm not sure we're going to make it through a connecting flight. I am not sure that we're going to make it home in time. We may have to rent a car when we arrive. And so my mind is just kind of given over to this anxiety and this worry. And then I look at the map again and I say, why in the world are we going through Michigan at this time? I mean, I've looked at a Rand McNally map. Why in the world aren't we going through upstate New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio and Indiana and arriving that way? And, And then it occurred to me, you know what? This pilot does not know where he is going. He is certainly not driving the most direct route. And my mind even went to this point where I thought, you know, the next time I fly and I get on an airplane and the stewardess greets me and she says, you can have a seat back there. I say, no, I demand to meet the pilot. I want to see what his flight map is for this flight. And I want to make sure that I approve of it and sign off on it before I go on this plane at all. And you know what happened? We arrived in Chicago right on time. And this little silly illustration illustrates what worry is like. We say to God, the pilot, God, I don't trust you. Here I am on row 43B. 
a person that only flies once or twice a year, who am I to question this pilot? He's got extensive training and experience. He clearly knows where we're going and when we're going to get there. And I'm sitting way in the 43rd row saying, I don't appreciate the route you have chosen, and I don't appreciate the 13 seconds of turbulence that we had to go through in order to get there. And we can do the same thing with God. Say, God, I don't know why you're taking this way, and I don't know why you've allowed us to experience a little bit of a turbulence. That's what worry is. Instead of just trusting God to know that he knows what is best. Well, in our passage here today, Jesus, the master teacher, provides some very very creative ways to teach us about ways that we can trust God. So here's our third question. What do birds and lilies teach us about trusting God? Let's look at this verse, verse 26. It says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. As God provides for birds, he provides for us. We see here in this verse that birds are very active. This is not fatalism, this thought that God will do whatever he wants. I have no uh, direct play in his plan. Fatalism says that events are inevitable. But what the birds say is God provides, yes, but we get to participate in that provision. The Bible says here in verse 26 that they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, look to the birds. Just this past week, I was cleaning out my back porch and I found a bag of old bird seed. And so I took it out, and I, and I laid it all out in an area where our family could sit at our dining room table, or as my boys were doing school, they could look out at the birds as they would eat that seed. And we're to glean from that, learn from that, admire how God provides for them. It says here that they don't sow or reap. Now, I love watching animals, and I remember David Letterman when he used to have these stupid pet tricks. And now we have YouTube where you can watch all these different tricks that animals do. And I've seen a lot of tricks that animals do, but I have never seen a cardinal operate a John Deere. And I've never seen a crow operate a plow. I've never seen a sparrow bale hay. And I've never seen a Baltimore Oriole use a corn picker. The point is, they don't have to. God provides for them. They are active, yes, And it says here in verse 26, they don't gather in barns. They don't have a 401k account. They don't have a savings account. They work as hard as they can to provide. God provides food for them. The next day, they do the very same thing. So yes, God cares for us. But we can have an active role in that care. We are hearing by our health officials today, that it is wise for us to stay at home. It's wise for us to keep our distance and to wash our hands and to cover our coughs. Well, that seems like, yes, God is in control. God will care for us. But we also have to use some wisdom in that as well. The Bible says here that God provides for birds. 
he will provide for you too. Listen to what Psalm 37 verse 25 says. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Or Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The second thing we see from this passage is worry offers no value to life. Look with me at the next part here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So Jesus is saying, if you worry, are you going to actually add to your life? You're not. And even if you don't believe the Bible, And even if you are an agnostic, you would simply acknowledge that worry brings no value to life. It does not add to life. In fact, research would show that it actually shortens life. Yes, it shortens it through depression, through irritability, through having difficulty breathing, a, a pounding heart, an upset stomach, experiencing fatigue an increase in blood pressure, and even aches and pains in your muscles. Jesus says here, worrying offers no value to your life. Look with me at verse 34. As he concludes his argument, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's what Jesus is saying. Today, you have some pressures. You have some concerns. And if you are worried about them right now, when you wake up tomorrow, they'll be there for you. It's not like this worrying helps solve them. And even if it could, when you wake up tomorrow, you have your own set of new problems. You see, worrying is not dependent on circumstances. In fact, you could be in the same circumstances right now and be worrying. Tomorrow, you could find yourself in the same set of circumstances and not worrying. This is a condition of the heart. Will I trust God? Will I trust His plans and His ways? The third point that we can understand from this passage is not related to the birds, but now it's related to the lilies. As the beauty of lilies stand out in a field, the faith of Christians is striking to an unbelieving world. Just picking it up where we left off, let's look here at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now the lilies is something that Jesus is talking about here. And unlike the birds that are very active and participating in providing for their own, the lilies don't toil or spin. They just simply rest in God's plan and His providence and say, God, You've planted me here? Well, then here is where I will bloom. And and Jesus says, if you are to compare that lily with all the wealth of Solomon, the lily is more beautiful. Now, who is Solomon? 
Solomon, according to 1 Kings chapter 10, is the wealthiest king that Israel had. This morning I was reading about Solomon, and in one year he had almost 50,000 pounds of gold delivered. We read in 1 Kings 10 that he actually had goblets or, or cups that he drank from that were made out of solid gold. It says in 1 Kings 10 verse 23, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. It says in the same chapter that silver was as common as stone. And yet here is a lily that is simply doing what God has asked it to do. It is simply resting in God's plans and in his ways. And that lily is more beautiful than anything that Solomon's wealth could have produced. Here in Wisconsin, we have something called the tiger lily. It's about three or four feet high, and the flower itself can expand to about three inches, and it is fiery orange. It is a beautiful flower. But this tiger lily is also called a ditch lily. And in God's providence, and God's plan, he may choose to plant that lily in a ditch in an obscure location on the southeast side of O'Connell County off of a, a, a county trunk road where the only one who sees that lily is a white-tailed deer and a small little skunk. And yet that lily is beautiful. It is glorifying God as it trusts in his plan to bloom exactly where God has it. And Jesus is saying that that lily displays magnificent beauty when it just rests in what God is doing. And then he says here that we as followers of Jesus distinguishes ourselves from the unbelieving world when we trust in God's ways and his plans. Look at what it says here. In verse verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The Gentiles here in this context are people that are not believers. They are living for themselves. And so there is an opportunity for Christians, followers of Jesus during this crisis, to distinguish themselves, not by way of pride, but in humility to say, I'm going to sink the roots of my life into the scriptures. And I'm going to find my confidence in who God is. There's a quote here that I came across this week by R. Mounts that says, Worry is a practical atheism and an affront to God. Christian, when you fret and when you worry, It's as if you are acting like an atheist. And God is not glorified by that. Moms and dads, here is an opportunity for you to model what it looks like. Like a lily, to plant your life in the truth of God's word. And display that for those around you. And I'd say the same for you, boys and girls. Let me give you the fourth thing here in this passage, and it's a summary. The summary is this. If God cares for birds and lilies, 
How much more will he care for us? That is the picture that is being repeated throughout this passage. God cares for birds. He cares more for you. God cares for a lily. He cares more for you. In fact, Jesus says here in verse 33, instead of worrying about about these things, here's what you should focus on. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Here's what we ought to focus on is God's rule of our life. We ought to focus on, God, I want to follow you in the path of my life and expand your rule in all the areas of of my life. And a part of this seeking first the kingdom is also taking this message that Jesus has offered forgiveness of sins through what he has done on the cross. This is what I need to expend my energy towards is allowing God's rule in my life to rule further and then also to take that message to others. I don't need to worry about these things. Just in our family devotions this week, as we're reading through the Gospel of Luke, we see this being lived out. As Jesus sends out the 12, and then he sends out the 72, he doesn't send them out in suitcases. He sends them out very simply and says, You trust me, you be about my kingdom. This is the point. God cares for animals. Yeah, he cares for your cat and your dog, but he cares for those made in his image much more. And if there is one thing that we can celebrate during this time, and maybe, maybe that's not the best way of putting it, but, but one thing that we can agree on is the sanctity of life. And there's been great measures made by our leaders to try to preserve life because life is important. And our prayer is that, that that view of life would extend beyond this coronavirus crisis. God's word says, Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Luke 12, verses 6 and 7. So, so far we've covered what is worry. We've also covered why is it a sin? Why is it wrong to worry? And then we also looked at what do the birds and the lilies have to teach us about not worrying or about trusting God? Let me then just conclude by answering another question, and that is this. What shall I do with my worry? You see, You were never designed to be the pilot of that huge airplane. God's design for you is to allow him to lead your life, to rule your life. You just sit back on row 43 and you allow him to lead. It's never been God's design for you to carry this heavy backpack of of burdens, of anxieties, and pressures. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11 verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This passage in which we've been speaking about this morning has a lot to do with how God provides for his own, his provision. He provides food and clothing, but that is not all that God has provided. God has not only provided for your daily needs, but also your eternal need.
If you know the Bible, then you know the greatest problem that man faces is his sin. And throughout the pages of Scripture, there has been this attempt for man to try to get back to a a good relationship with God as Adam and Eve once experienced. And despite his best efforts, despite all of his religious attempts, he is not able to do that. So in God's kindness, he instituted a sacrificial system where a dad and a mom and kids, they could could go to a priest with a spotless lamb and say, Priest, would you help us with our sin? And the priest would transfer all the sins of that family onto a lamb and put his head there on the lamb and they would cut the throat of that lamb and and blood would, would gush forth. And it was as if all the sins of that family were transferred onto that lamb. He was a provision for their sin. Well, if you know Jesus, you know he was not only born of a virgin, that he provided many wonderful miracles and teachings. But when he came on the scene, John the Baptist, the one who was preparing the way for him, got up one day and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God sent Jesus to be your provision. Your provision for your sins. And instead of you having to answer and absorb the the judgment and the wrath of God upon yourself, Jesus has, has taken the blow for you. And God is willing to transfer that wrath and that judgment from you Onto Jesus. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday. And we celebrate Jesus as not only his death, but his resurrection three days later. What do I do with my worry? You come to Jesus. God might be allowing you to experience some of these fears right now so that you would come and you would receive the provision for your sins that Jesus died on the cross for you. Confess your sins. Believe that this provision is for you. Well, does that mean that if I've I've trusted Christ and I've repented of my sins, that I'll never worry again? Well, Christians that are listening to this or watching this, they know the answer to that. So let me give you a few daily strategies as well. The second thing I would offer to you by asking, what shall I do with my worry, is to humble yourself. Peter wrote about anxiety in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 7, when he said, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So there is a relationship between humbling ourselves and casting our anxieties on God. If I could take you back to that airplane metaphor. To say, God, I have been questioning the flight map that you have had us on. I've questioned why you've allowed us to experience some turbulence. In fact, I've even threatened to come up to the cockpit to to take the steering wheel away from you. But I want to humble myself and acknowledge that I'm wrong. And I can trust you. This word cast is a great word here in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. The idea is to throw. I can think back to when I was in junior high or high school, and I'd have a backpack on my shoulders getting off the bus. 
on a Friday afternoon and I'd walk into the house and I'd open the front door and I'd greet my mother and I'd take that backpack of heavy books and I'd chuck it across the room. I'd cast it across the room as if to say, I'm not worrying about this homework. I'm not worrying about this work. I'm not worrying about these books for days. I'm done with this stuff. And that is the word picture that Peter gave to us. If I were to take these anxieties and to cast them upon Jesus. As we look at this passage here in Matthew 6, Jesus said here in verse 30 that we have little faith if we worry. But you know, I think this is something in one way or another we all will struggle with. And there was a man in Mark chapter 9, he was a dad. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a dad who had a son that was demon-possessed. And he wanted to believe that Jesus could help him with that situation. And he said kind of these famous words in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, I believe, help my unbelief. And these times may be turbulent for you right now, and, and things might be a little shaky, your faith might be shaky. Perhaps you would pray the prayer of that father and that prayer was honored by our Lord and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to have faith. I want to plant my roots like that lily in the fields. I want to plant them in God and in God's word. Help me to do that. Let me give you a third thing that you can do if you are worrying. And that is to convert worry into prayer. To convert worry into into prayer. Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. What ought you to do with your worry? To use your worry And the temptation towards that is a trigger to pray. So every time you are tempted to take a thought and to allow it to have some fear within you, to use that for prayer, to say, oh God, help me. I know that you can protect my family. I know that you can protect my spouse. Would you please do that? To take a verse and meditate on it during that temptation of worry. Well, you might say to yourself or to me, Chad, if I prayed every time that I was tempted to worry throughout the day, I would pray without ceasing. And I would say, has it really come to this? (laughs) That's a great thing to happen. Could it be that God is allowing this time right now for you to expand your prayer life, that you would be a better prayer warrior than you've ever been, and you would use prayer to to confront worry in your life. Let me just give you one more. It's not even in your outline. This one just occurred to me. One other way that we can confront our worry is to pray for our leaders. Let me just read to you what first Peter, or rather first Timothy two, one through two says. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Listen to this. 
that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You want to experience a peaceful, quiet life? Pray for your leaders. You might have a president that is not of your political party. You may have a governor that is not of your political party. If ever there were a time for us to pray for our leaders, it is now. They have some huge decisions to make, and we believe they're making them in the best interest of us. So let us pray for them. Listen, as you think about this, we've just had an opportunity to look at what God's Word says. We can look to the birds. We can look to the lilies. We can learn from them. And we can rest in this truth that God cares for us. I wonder, is God allowing the pressures of these last couple of weeks to bring you to a place of breaking where you would say, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. God, I want to unload all this pressure and anxiety. God, I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to take the controls of my life. Would you pray with me as I conclude our message today? God, thank you for your word that just reinforces again that we don't have to worry that you will look after us as you do the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Help us to rest in your word this week. And then, friend, if you're watching or listening to this today, and you would like to trust God, trust in what Jesus has done for you to save you of your sins, you could pray something like this. God, I want to come to Jesus. I am weary and heavy laden. I want to bring my sins and receive the forgiveness for them. I realize you've made provision through Jesus coming in my place. And I believe that. And I want to follow you during this time. I want to give you the controls of my life. Not only for the next couple of weeks and months, but for all my days and into eternity. I want to follow the path that you have for my life. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you have prayed that, and if there's a way that we can be of help to you to encourage you in your faith in Christ, feel free to contact the church. Uh, If you have any questions about what you've heard today and you want some follow-up, feel free to give us a call and we would be happy to talk to you further about what it means to trust Christ, not only during this crisis, but all your days and into eternity. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.